Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I'm happy that you found me, but more importantly, friends, I am thrilled that you have found Jesus. Friends, there is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we will be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter Jesus to transform. If you're new to our show, welcome. You'll find that this podcast is built upon a foundation of biblical truth. And being a podcast, occasionally I will interject an opinion, but I do make sure to let you know it's only my opinion and not a statement of fact. So hopefully, friends, you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, we'll delve into my mailbag answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Well, as we enter into God's presence today, allow me to speak a blessing over your life. This blessing comes to us from Moses's brother, priest Aaron, and it's given to us in the form of a benediction. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And you know, if you've been following this podcast, I want to just welcome you back. We're continuing on in our series from the book of Job. With the first round of talks concluded, today we begin our second round of discussions taking Job's friends' arguments even further. Today we begin our adventure by learning what Eliphaz had to say the second time around. If you'd like to follow along with me, turn now in your Bibles to Job chapter 15 verses 1 through 35. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite replied, you are supposed to be a wise man, and yet you give us all this foolish talk. You are nothing but a windbag. It isn't right to speak so foolishly. What good do such words do? Have you no fear of God, no reverence for him? Your sins are telling your mouth what to say. Your words are based on clever deception. But why should I condemn you? Your mouth does. Were you the first person ever born? Were you born before the hills were made? Were you listening at God's secret counsel? Do you have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we don't? What do you understand that we don't? On our side are aged gray-haired men much older than your father. Is God's comfort too little for you? Is his gentle word not enough? What has captured your reason? What has weakened your vision that you turn against God and say all these evil things? Can a mortal be pure? Can a human be just? Why God doesn't even trust the angels. Even the heavens cannot be absolutely pure in his sight. How much less pure is a corrupt and sinful person with a thirst for wickedness? If you will listen, I will answer you from my own experience. And it is confirmed by the experience of wise men who have heard the same thing from their fathers, 
those to whom the land was given long before any foreigners arrived. Wicked people are in pain throughout their lives. They're surrounded by terrors, and even on good days, they fear the attack of the destroyer. They dare not go out into the darkness for fear they will be murdered. They wander abroad for bread, saying, where is it? They know their ruin is certain, that dark day terrifies them. They live in distress and anguish, like a king preparing for an attack. For they have clenched their fist against God, defying the Almighty. Holding their strong shields, they defiantly charge against him. These wicked people are fat and rich, but their cities will be ruined. They will live in abandoned houses that are ready to tumble down. They will not continue to be rich. Their wealth will not endure, and their possessions will no longer spread across the horizon. They will not escape the darkness. The flame will burn them up, and the breath of God will destroy everything they have. Let them no longer trust in empty riches. They are only fooling themselves, for emptiness will be their only reward. They will be cut down in the prime of life, and all they counted on will disappear. They will be like a vine whose grapes are harvested before they are ripe, like an olive tree that sheds its blossoms so the fruit cannot form. For the godless are barren. Their homes, enriched through bribery, will be consumed by fire. They conceive trouble and evil, and their hearts give birth only to deceit. Eliphaz was bolder, ruder than the first time, more intense and more threatening towards Job in his second round of discussions. Despite all of this, he said nothing new. However, he would accuse Job of presenting useless and empty words in his defense. Eliphaz held to his original belief that Job was an unrepented sinner. He operated from a belief system that the wisdom of their great ancestors was more valuable than Job's individual thoughts. Like Job's other friends, Eliphaz was overly confident in his own assessment of his wisdom being on par with God's wisdom. His second argument still proved to be positioned in arrogance. Eliphaz was correct in his thought about heaven not being absolutely pure. As long as anything created was residing there, this would be the case. We know from former podcasts we discussed the heavenly council room in which Satan still has access to building a stronger case for the impurity of heaven in this current time. This will not always be the case, as we've previously discussed in the book of Revelation. Satan is ultimately kicked out of any heavenly place permanently, thus negating his conversations with God. Job speaks again in his fifth speech. Here is his response to Eliphaz. If you would like to follow along with me, turn to Job chapter 16, verses 1 through 22. I've heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop your flow of foolish words? What have I said that makes you speak so endlessly? I could say the same things if you were in my place. I could spout off my criticisms against you and shake my head at you. But that's not 
what I would do. I would speak in a way that helps you. I would try to take away your grief. But as it is, my grief remains no matter how I defend myself. And it does not help if I refuse to speak. Oh God, you have ground me down and devastated my family. You have reduced me to skin and bones as proof, they say, of my sins. God hates me and tears angrily at my flesh. He gnashes his teeth at me, pierces me with his eyes. People jeer and laugh at me. They slap my cheek in contempt. A mob gathers against me. God has handed me over to sinners. He has tossed me into the hands of the wicked. I was living quietly until he broke me apart. He took me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. Then he set me up as his target. His archers surrounded me and his arrows pierced me without mercy. The ground is wet with my blood. Again and again, he smashed me, charging at me like a warrior. Here I sit in sackcloth. I've surrendered and I sit in the dust. My eyes are red with weeping. Darkness covers my eyes, yet I am innocent and my prayer is pure. O earth, do not conceal my blood. Let it cry out on my behalf. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is there on high. My friends scorn me, but I pour out my tears to God. Oh, that someone would mediate between God and me as a person mediates between friends. For soon I must go down that road from which I will never return. Job's friends should have been comforting him in this great time of need. Instead, they were fixated on pointing out his perceived sins. They would condemn him with their faulty wisdom, making him the source of his own suffering. Job recognized that his friends were miserable comforters, and we can learn from his friends how to become better at consoling our friends who are hurting. Here are some pointers from Job. First, don't talk for the sake of filling dead air. Don't give a canned sermon or pat answers. Instead, we're to really listen and offer advice that fits the situation. Don't accuse or criticize a hurting person. Put yourself in the other person's place. Be an encourager and a person who genuinely wants to help. What's great about Job's advice is that he knew what was needed in the context of personal suffering and therefore was more than qualified to provide this advice. Job appealed directly to God's witness of him and called him his advocate. He stated this but was afraid that God had abandoned him. It's true, God was his witness. He did see all that Job had experienced. And he also was Job's advocate, his defense attorney, if you will, who would fight on behalf of Job. All hope for, for was resting upon God to defend Job. He had cast his care upward to God. He felt that he probably would die before his innocence was proven upon earth. Yet he knew where to place his care. It's amazing that Job had this line of sight prior to Jesus coming to earth. 
We learn in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore, he's able once and forever to save everyone who comes to God through him. He lives forever to plead with God on their behalf. As with Job, we too have a defense attorney in Jesus Christ. He is our judge and our advocate. Therefore, we never have anything to fear. No matter what man comes at us with and tries to scare us with because he's infested with demons who are attached to him, we have nothing to fear. God is our defense attorney. We are picking back up in Job chapter 17 verses 1 through 16. If you're following along with me, my spirit is crushed and I am near death. The grave is ready to receive me. I'm surrounded by mockers. I watch how bitterly they taunt me. You must defend my innocence, O God, since no one else will stand up for me. You've closed their minds to understanding, but do not let them triumph. They denounce their companions for their own advantage. So let their children faint with hunger. God has made a mockery of me among the people. They spit in my face. My eyes are dim with weeping, and I am but a shadow of my former self. The upright are astonished when they see me. The innocent are aroused against the ungodly. The righteous will move onward and forward, and those with pure hearts will become stronger and stronger. As for all of you, come back and try again but I will not find a wise man among you. My days are over, my hopes have disappeared, my heart's desires are broken. They say that night is day and day is night. How they pervert the truth. I might go to the grave and make my bed in darkness, and I might call the grave my father and worm my mother and my sister. But where then is my hope? Can anyone find it? No, my hope will go down with me to the grave. We will rest together in the dust. There was no wisdom to be found among Job's friends. Sometimes reputations precede themselves, but not this time. God would later rebuke the friends for offering a false portrayal of who God is. These men had a faulty view of what wisdom really was. They were basing wisdom upon their own experiences. Again, assumptions rang loud. They thought because they were prosperous, and successful that they must possess wisdom. Job set the record straight by alerting his friends to the fact that success and prosperity are not a reward for faith in God. Likewise, trouble and affliction in a person's life are not a measure of faithlessness. The truly wise man knows that wisdom comes from God alone. We will learn later on in the Bible that King Solomon sought the wisdom that only God could provide. Wisdom is not a byproduct of our successes nor of our failures. As long as we continue to keep our eyes focused on God and we don't forsake him, he promises to never forsake us. Job proved that God's wisdom was infinitely better than his friend's wisdom. Job was give, giving up hope for any future restoration for his family and his wealth. Instead, he was focusing upon grief, pain, and death. 
Job's friends were merely focused upon present life rewards, not ones earmarked for faithfulness in the future. Interestingly, his friends were silent about any life happening beyond the grave. No matter what our circumstances, we must not evaluate quote-unquote life in terms of our present-day realities. God promises us that we will be in paradise with him in the afterlife. I'm hopeful that you've been learning as much as me on our journey into the book of Job. His life is referenced often, and it's easy to see why. So we're nearly halfway through this fascinating book, so hang in there with me. The best is yet to come. And friends, if you've not been spiritually reborn, wouldn't now be a good time? I mean, God makes it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son Jesus by professing with their mouth. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. While we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus, however, here's what we can do. We can show him gratitude by growing and making efforts to obey him, deepening our relationship daily. So today, friends, if this is you, respectfully, I'm challenging you to take a bold step of courage and utilize your faith to openly confess after me. Father God, today I'm repenting of sin, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking. Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart. I confess your shed blood washed away my sin from the top of my head to the soles of my feet at the cross on Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed this prayer salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the Holy Spirit. And consider growing by joining a good Bible-based church, surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will build up and help edify your faith in Jesus. Now allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your life. Congratulations and God bless you. Friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special children's podcast airs on Wednesdays, so tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love and action looks like biblical trust, and so many more topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on an adventure of all things Jesus. So please join me, and if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, ensuring that you will get the latest releases when they become available. And friends, occasionally, I do reference my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or compelling, you can pick up a copy from my website at pampastorcopywriting.com 
or Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or Dorrance.com. And importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. It is full of God's word and it's waiting for you to read it. Until next time, remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless you.